Greetings! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast. The show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined by my friend, co-host, The Shape, uh, the never-ending fiery murder guy, and co-host again. Alex Tandino. That was creepy. No. <laughs> you're welcome. All right, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you're joining us today, we hope you love the show. Uh, in that vein, we'd like to ask you a favor. If you could take a second right now and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, that means the world to us. And for those of you that have been doing it, we see you and we appreciate it very much. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see the faces that make these voices. Uh, that is Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. With your ideas for movies, themes, double features, guests, anything like that, new stuff, old stuff, whatever you want to hear us talk about, we would like to know that. True. Also, we're on all the social medias you're on. Uh, so go ahead and get at us. Uh, let us know. Talk to us. Get a hold of us. All right. Enough business. We... Continue our sojourn through the abyss of the whole genre. Uh, this month, every day for October, we are covering a brand new horror movie for your listening pleasure. We have hit the crown jewel of this October, the Halloween series. So, if you haven't yet, please take a second and download yesterday's episode on Halloween 1. One of the all-time horror classics. Uh, today, we return to Haddonfield moments later. Actually, you would say... Moments before Halloween one ended. Yeah, we were just talk about ending. <laughs> yeah, we were literally just there to talk about Halloween two. Uh, I call this the movie where Michael became more. This is the film, uh, following up a horror movie success story that decides it's going to do everything the exact opposite of how the first one did it. Um. I don't know that it's a streamlined masterpiece throughout, but what I do know is that for a sequel, it does everything I want it to do. It gives me more. It adds on to the mythology in a really brilliant way. It gives us some really fun time to spend with characters that we miss, like Dr. Loomis. Um, and it adds a lot of really fun elements that, again, I think one of the coolest things about Halloween is how much every movie seems to go back and kind of rewrite itself into the dna of its predecessors whether it meant to or not true um so i think halloween 2 is a wildly successful horror sequel alex what were your biggest takeaways uh with halloween 2 this time halloween 2 is such a weird like i don't know almost violation of the first movie <laughs> like it's <laughs> it all the things that i love about the first halloween it's sort of just doesn't do in a lot of ways like there yeah. there's a couple of beats that i really enjoy that the first halloween couldn't do just because it didn't have uh it didn't have the same bravado that i'd say this movie does but um yeah there's still but there's still like i i like the halloween movies because there's still a lot to love i don't know i don't love them nearly as much as you but like the first halloween and like many of the other halloweens halloween 2 is no exception i I, there's things that are entertaining and there's things that make it worth watching. So, yeah, well, it's kind of, you know, it's a different movie so fast, right? Which is, 
it starts off and it's like, oh, that classic John Carpenter theme. One of the most classic movie themes of all time is Halloween. Right. Let's church it up. Right. Let's add more to it. Yeah. What if this time the pumpkin separates and shows a skull in case we don't get the subtle imagery of why that's scary. And I was like, oh, we're doing this movie. Right. Michael is not kind of the shadowy shape in this one. Um, we lose a lot of that kind of mystique of Michael, but I don't think it hurts him, which is the the good thing about the film, right? No. So right away we have we start off again with where we left off, but we see Michael now running away. To your point, this is where we see Michael actually bleed. Michael's bleeding his own blood, right? As Ben Stiller would say, right? Um. And this is where they start doing some really fun. Like, Loomis is out there. Oh, I shot him six times. He's not a human. Right? And you're like, all right, here we go. Right. But the scene I love, and they're like, oh, they do get this, is when he walks into the old people's house. Right? Yeah. The old people who, on the night that everyone's getting murdered and screaming, Michael walks but a couple houses down and is able to just walk into these old people's lives as they're watching on the news uh, this story about these dead bodies they found in a house just down the road. And it's such a cool fucking scene, right? That Michael's in the background, almost partaking for a second in the coverage he's now created, which is a new way to think of Michael. Yeah. So I knew in that scene, I'm like, Oh, they still get what really makes Halloween work. Right. Cause I was expecting the, Oh, we're going to brutally slaughter this old ham sandwich lady and her husband. And they don't. Yeah. They actually have one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is where she just, knows her knife's gone and sees blood that shouldn't be there. Right. And just fucking screams helplessly. Her her illusion of safety has vanished. Right. Um what did you notice the film doing really well in setting up uh in this first phase? I mean, to me this is like this it's funny like I did a lot of reading about like how cuz honestly like I cannot for the life of me, remember the last time I watched this movie. There's a very, very good probability that I've never seen this movie before. So it was really fun to watch. Really? Either <laughs> it's really fun to watch either again or for the first time. Again, I literally remember nothing other than actually. Okay, no, I had seen it before because I remember always thinking that Jamie Lee Curtis's hair looked like shit. That was like always my thing. <laughs> That's your big takeaway. Well, I mean. I hadn't seen it in like 20 years. So I would say like the thing that makes uh, the main thing that makes Halloween two work is that yes, like the ratcheting up, it's fascinating. Like the ratcheting up of things normally doesn't do it for me. Like it really, but there's two movies that I think it actually works really well. in. is one uh, scream Two, ratcheting up works really well. And then uh, I really liked, and again, I'm one of the. I really like Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Revenge. Um, mm-hmm. Halloween Two is really fascinating in that the ratcheting up is almost just for uh, the panache of the movie itself. Um, the things they add, and again, like this is where we actually get into the narrative, like the arc of the Halloween story itself. Like that's the stuff that really kind of gets you going and that's stuff that i think is really engaging and and interesting and that's the thing that i think everybody kind of comes back to which again yesterday we talked about um sort of how much watching these movies informs the first one and informs your like impressions of the first one and so watching this watching this is really fascinating because 
once the narrative deepens and once you get into the Laurie Strode and even the weird, like even the weird occult thing that comes up literally once and then is never spoken about again, uh, <laughs> the deeper you get into it, you, the more you realize like, and it's funny because I remember I watched it. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. These are interesting little hints to drop. That's kind of fun. And then I literally read on Wikipedia, like they interviewed John Carpenter. And like he was like, yeah, what I remember about writing is I drank a lot of beer and was like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't know. And that was like the quote. <laughs> that was the quote of him writing this movie. How do you follow up something that is like your masterpiece? Yeah, that's that's a hard one. I think what is hardest about Halloween, too, is the hospital is such a strange choice, right? Because, one, everyone already feels uncomfortable and unsafe in hospitals. Right. No one goes in a hospital and is like, dope. Right, so already you're losing one of the key kind of subtexts of the first movie. And it's strange because every character they put in there is kind of super thin and useless. Like, even in the first movie, we somewhat care about Lori and her friends, right? right? Like, we're a little bonded in at that point. No one in the hospital gets to that level. No. Well, I mean, like... Uh, even the, the one guy is the EMT guy, but then you're like, stop trying to make moves at Lori. Yeah. She just got attacked and is clearly on drugs. Stop going in to spit game at her. Right. Well, I so mean, he's probably the creepiest creep. Even his stuff. Like again, like it's even like the little banter, like the, cause in the first movie, the girl, like the girls walking home are talking like the banter in the break room. Like he's like, you know, what I would go for fucking pizza, sausage, peppers, and onions. I'm like, who gives a shit about your pizza order, man? There's literally shit going on outside. Like, I remember I mean, this time watching, I remember thinking to myself, like, who cares about any of these people's like mundane observations on life? Just fucking kill them. <laughs> like that was the first that was like my initial thought. I was like, oh, I'm so motivated for these people to die. Yeah. I mean, it that that's the weird thing is I think the ho the hospital stuff is a setting and characters to kill don't really work. Right. right? It feels more like traditional 80s slasher, like just fill it up. The only couple times it works is like with the security guard and the nurse mm -hmm. who's on the walkie talkie trying to like help him is you get this real sense of what the fuck would these small town people do in this larger than life event is happening. Right. The yeah. overwhelmed nature of them. Uh, I mean, especially the security guard when he's just like walking around sweating and you're like, this guy has never done this in his tenure here what cardio and when life, yeah, yeah cardio and when life literally puts that claw hammer in his forehead you're like that's a pretty good symbolism of what <laughs> it would be like to be that guy and then yeah. be called into action right so that works a little bit i mean i felt like the stuff outside of the hospital worked really well right the yeah. inside of the hospital becomes classic try to get the best kill you can but it it just doesn't matter yeah. the way that halloween does the right there's story not a happening outside super creepy yeah I mean, but like they even do weird things like when Michael leaves the house of the old people. Right. He doesn't kill them. He's still on a mission. He's still alive somehow. Right. This is where they start introducing him as a very like by the end of this movie, there's no doubt he is a supernaturally enhanced being. Right. Right. He walks up and just sees another teenage girl with her door open and walks in and kills her. I was like, oh, why? Like, that's not. You know, like, is he afraid he's out of practice from one hour ago? Like, what are we doing? I was like, come on, man. Yeah. It's such a weird. So that kind of stuff, it just has these weird things that don't 
like Michael has completely shifted now. And that's yeah. why I told you one of the things in this movie that made me laugh this time is I was like, oh, well, if you take this movie as this is Dr. Loomis now, I'm right. I shot him. Right. He gets a lesser cop who's going to, like, take his orders better. Right. This is Loomis sitting at a bar years later spouting his lifetime movie version of what it was like to deal with Michael Myers. Right. right? But, like, I feel like Michael Myers is, like, the top of the story and the rest of it is how bumbling and, like, dipshitty everybody else he had to deal with was. Like, oh, that boy was pure evil. And then I got a ride from some fucking bimbo who, like, just dropped off in the middle of the rain. And then, I, like, he's, like, like unfolding the events to himself. To, like, to, just to himself, by the way, not to a bar. Like, he's, like, in the corner and everyone's just, like, God, sorry. Just, like, the guy never shuts up. But he's like going down the list he's of events and no more. <laughs> complaining, complaining every, complaining about everybody else. Yeah, but, just talking down to everyone. But yeah. this is, this is the weird part, though, right? Because like one of the scenes that struck me is I'm like, that's not. I don't accept that as something Michael Myers did. He breaks into the school, yeah, to stab a knife into a children's drawing, which we are led to believe is him and his family. So either. He stole a child's drawing that had the same exact number and genders as his family. Or Michael Myers drew an intentionally five-year-old style picture so he could stab it on the desk of a random teacher in the school and then in blood write Sam Hain. That is the scene where I was like, what? But then once Donald Pleasant starts talking about Sam Hain, you're like, yeah, fuck yeah. You're like, I'm in on this, right? Sam Hain is in all of us. It's the dark nature of man. We don't need an ancient festival. It's us. It's us. We're evil. And right. you're like, yes, Donald Pleasance can interrupt every scene <laughs> to monologue, right? Like, sure. So that's kind of the that's thing what he's there one for. does really well. Is right. like, But that scene, you're just like, between that and killing the girl, you're like, like these Michael Myers moments are strange. But then they'll lay in a scene, right? Like one of the scenes that struck me is as we're starting to get the news and people are hearing about what's happening, right? We have the guy carrying the Radio Raheem boombox yes. listening to local news on Halloween night, right? He's like, yeah. hey, what's up? Just staying, staying current, y'all. That guy's pretty much right? the coolest guy ever, yeah. Yeah, that guy definitely has every NPR podcast on a smartphone now. <laughs> but Michael Myers bumps into him. Right. And that is the first time we've seen Michael Myers walking through the busy, bustling streets. Yes. Yes. And even after he's committed murder and we know he's bleeding and his hands are covered in blood, no one looks twice at him. That was a great additional scene to add into this movie, right? Yes. Because uh, in the first one, it almost feels like Haddonfield shuts out any potential that there's a problem. Right. This one is just saying, like, they literally just can't fathom it. Yeah. He's just walking amongst the people. Right. It's like I was saying, it's like I said yesterday, like, honestly, it's about just, like, these people not caring. Like, it's, these people <laughs> are so much, again, I, I between these two movies. It I, is one of those things, too, though. I don't know if this struck you, as I was like, oh, my God, there was just a time when we didn't instantly know things. Yeah. No, it's, again, like, anytime we Which watch. Which is extra scary. <laughs> anytime we watch horror movies where there's no cell phones available. Because, like, that, again, we talked about this a bunch of times on other pods. Like, the invention of cell phones has literally killed horror movies. 
So like, no, er, now every movie just has to have the scene like, ah, shit, no battery. Right, yeah. Everybody's no got bars. one of those. Like, but there's every a, there, horror movie There was has a that. time when there was no availability like that. Yeah. And there was nothing connected. And also, like, yeah, we didn't instantly know everything. We didn't have a bunch of Karens running around, like, making vids of, like, you know, whatever they're making. Like, we had the Karens. We just didn't get them on tape, so they were allowed to proliferate well, like gremlins. Well, yeah. Well, what's interesting, like, the Karens of that time were called Mrs. Kravitz's, and all they did was sit inside their house, and whatever they could see from their fucking window, that was it. Like, so they'd bitch about it to their husband, and then never, like, came up again. But that's, like... But, again, that's where, like, the... That's where the, like, drama of Haddonfield lives, and that's why the Michael Myers story itself is so compelling, because it almost hinges on the fact that Michael Myers, he, Michael Myers, sh- the guy should not be able to walk through the fucking sit the fucking street and everyone be like, Oh, that's just some guy. I don't know. It's Halloween. You know, people are weird. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing to yeah. me. And it's amazing that like, that's like the commentary on the town itself is that people didn't care enough. People don't care enough. Like, even though those crazy shit's going on, well, yeah, but, you know, Halloween, it's important. Like, it's weird. Well, that's, it's weird, too, because this is another, we actually get a great Haddonfield scene in this movie. We do. Which is people showing up at the Myers house to try to destroy it, finally. Like, now, after this time, they want to bring it down. Now that it's happened more than once, you're like, well, it wasn't a blip. Now it's a nuisance. And I can't be gardening and looking at the murder home. Like, now we must bring it down with rocks. Yes, bring it down like, with rocks and let's turn like, it into a off, community garden. Yeah. Yeah, right? The cops like, fuck off. We're investigating. They're like, damn you. I'm here to throw rocks. Like, I'm not going to actually, like, help canvas for this guy. But for the love of God. But I thought that was a really cool Haddonfield scene. Yeah. Because it is this impotent show of rage and anger and we've got to do something but they go do the most useless dumbest thing well, and i was like that's a really cool state this also gives us one of the things they add into this one i thought was cool is now they're kind of taking a shot at the media mm-hmm. how the media loves to fucking be you know ticks and fill their bellies on the blood of these innocent communities i thought that was a really cool addition oh yeah they had that small scene where the one journalist is like Talk to teenagers, but get consent. And if you don't get consent, get a fucking quote anyways. Right. Like, just totally flouting ethics, right? These people are here. Because one of the scenes that devastated me this time that I don't know that I'd ever really been hit by is when the sheriff, you know, who's been running around with Loomis, is trying to help. They say that Annie's one of the bodies, right? So he pulls the sheet back, and he has this realization that his daughter's under there, right? His teenage daughter. They had kind of a fun, like, rapport in the first one and you just hear those shutters going off this man's lowest fucking moment right a police officer who can't protect his own daughter she's dead all his hopes and dreams for the future her future are dead right and all you hear are those fucking shutters right it reminds me of the end of the first one where michael's just breathing as we see like living rooms and attics and whatever that's what this was is like there are just these fucking evil forces in our society that are just looming waiting for tragedy that scene rocked me this time well yeah i mean that's the benefit of the it's the thing that this movie does so well particularly is like if you bring in the outside influences like and especially the media yeah they're vultures like that's just part of that's part of these 
I, it reminded honestly it reminded me of like it's just a bunch of Gale Weathers, and I think that's yeah. the thing I like the most is that I saw so much of what Scream does in the first one through Gale Weathers and the second one by to a lot to a certain extent um, from the media in Halloween too. Like it's the exact same sycophantic like it's a symptom though of a larger problem within suburbia which is that everyone's bored so we're gonna use this news and like the fact that again it yeah it takes two huge fucking tragedies for these people these people to finally go yeah that house is no good we got to get rid of it like that yeah. i think is that is probably the best part to me in this entire movie is that people think the symptom like the cure for the symptom is to throw rocks and try to take a house down like Literally, there's a guy walking around murdering people. But no, let's we not see. We see an old couple watching the media do that stand up is Michael Myers is in the background in their kitchen. Yeah. That to me was an awesome. Like you said, it's like they're so enraptured on other people's tragedies. That's not that's somewhere else. It feels distant, even though it's right down the block. Right, exactly. And it's just you're at the point now where you're watching and like, why are these people trying like what does it matter to take down a fucking house? Like these it's not like the guy was in there. Like mm -hmm. again, it's it's redirecting tragedy. It's taking the they thing They want to bring that down so they're not reminded. Right. And that's well, a really that cool and, visual. I mean like it's redirecting your grief and redirecting your anger to a thing that you can control. Like, and I think that's the thing that I like the most about this is that it places as much blame on Michael Myers uh, state of being and also just his ability to sort of move through the community. It places as much blame on like the bumbling, the bumbling, the, the bumbling police department and Dr. Loomis as it does on the people of Haddonfield itself. And again, that's like. I don't think people pick up a lot of the time. I mean, I could be wrong. I feel like a lot of the time people gloss over Halloween movies in general, but uh, there is some great subtle subtext, uh, at least particularly in this one. And again, it's John Carpenter writing. So I, I don't know if he did that intentionally, but I, I like it a lot. Well, it's, it's another way to take the piss out of this American dream, right? Is that now we're seeing it as this staging ground for these fucking horrific media types. <laughs> right. So it feels like a, a soap opera set now. I thought that stuff was was fantastic. Um, the thing that really jumps out at you in this movie is this is when Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis pick it up a notch. Like now this is Dracula, Van Helsing, Moby Dick, Ahab. These are not two normal men no. moving about society anymore, right? No. Um, Loomis less than just the fact that he talks about Sam Hain. I've been researching Sam Hain because I have a little boy who hasn't talked for 15 years. There's an extra level of, oh, Loomis, and he's screaming at police officers. He, uh, you know, now you're like, when did he get that gun? Why the fuck does Loomis have a gun? Like the cop kind of chuckles about it at the start. Like, oh, Loomis is checking his guns before we go see this house mob. But then not more than 20 minutes later in the film, I feel like. Loomis puts that gun to a cop's head and is like, what is it you boys do? Warning shots? Shoots the fucking window out inside the car, which would rupture all their eardrums. I was like, Loomis has done gone insane. Oh, yeah. I Loomis mean, is like, how the fuck does this worst coworker, worst down talker have a fucking gun? He's the worst last person who should have a gun. I mean, the fact that uh, I don't know. And I, I don't know if this struck you, but the fact that that he wasn't arrested and brought to the hospital or something like that, like they, they like fucking clipped him and then brought him to the hospital. I feel like that almost would have made 
Halloween too. I don't know. It's such a strange like. Wait, you think they should have clipped Loomis so he was like sharing a bed? Oh fuck yeah, dude! Get him the fuck. You wanted you wanted the Matrix Two ending where him and he's just head to head Smith and Neo, Myers and Loomis, a meeting of the minds. No, I wanted a head. To, I wanted a Matrix Two ending where yeah, Loomis like hello, I am the architect. That's what I wanted. I, absolutely. <laughs> Well, this is the because you brought up a good point earlier, which is the way they just casually throw out Sam Han, right? Like Sam Hain, this is a thing, which seems to be what they're setting up for the extended, you know, multiverse, if you will, of what Halloween could have been, as we see in Season of the Witch Part 3 and this and that. These were supposed to be kind of one-offs, right? But Michael Myers just consumed the series. Right. But there is this element of, it's extra fun in Halloween, too, because you get this idea that, oh, Loomis has been on this kid for a while. And this is the greatest day of his life. He's like, all those fucking dusty, leather-bound editions I read. Like, finally, I was correct. Right. It almost has a vibe of you get this weird sense that Loomis may have been doing the rituals. Like, Loomis may have been the genesis of all this. Totally possible, so fucking man. Torqued. Like, again, he's just... It's There's like, a creepy moment. Let me run this by you. Because Loomis, why does he know all this shit about Sam Hain? I've always wondered if this is druid evil magic. Why Haddonfield, Illinois? Why when that kid just saw his sister getting felt up for three seconds? Why? 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 But then all of a sudden at the end when Loomis just goes, it's time, Michael. And I was like, oh, my fucking God. He did it. Loomis fucking did it. This was all <laughs> to become like a bigger than. I mean, that's probably nonsense, as we see in uh, 4 and 5, completely throw that shit out the window. Sure. But it was this really weird moment of now he's making himself more. Now he is a a monster hunter, right? He's not just this shrink, this kid shrink. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the moment I think that it becomes more of that eternal struggle that I think we've seen throughout Dracula and Van Helsing, like, and it's funny too because I think in 1982 or something like that, like John Carpenter was like, "Oh yeah, the shape is dead and uh, uh, Loomis is dead. Like you can't bring him back. Obviously, it got retconned. But it's one of those things where it's like you can't kill this. You can't like almost like creating an unkillable force. Like you can't kill off these characters that have this eternal struggle, and you certainly can't kill them off after you've like." brought it to a head with this weird occult druid magic thing like you have to address it and certainly not the way that they address in like well they don't address it in season of the witch but like certainly not the way that you'd expect and i think that's the thing that's interesting about that's always the thing that's interesting to me about the halloween series in general is that it was always meant to be this anthology essentially of oh all these creepy things that happen on halloween but like michael myers is indestructible as he seems like he can't be you can't let that go it's like timeless evil and it's kind of this interesting thing where it's like you don't always i don't always feel like i don't know like the evil aspect is such a strange thing to me because like i think i've spent so much time enjoying movies like friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street like evil feels much more proactive than michael myers and i guess but and proactive. I mean, he's he's getting his fucking steps in in this movie. Sure, and not to like, say he, that he's fucking beating heels to go get people. Right, and not to say that Michael Myers is not proactive, but more like he's foreboding still. Like there's always and there's no revenge factor. He feels like he's just like randomly dropped amongst us. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that makes 
this movie different than the first one and only in hindsight which i think is even more interesting is like i think that when you watch this when you watch the first one knowing what you know which is the big reveal in this movie that laurie is michael's sister the there was a file that loomis couldn't get his hands on he was too busy reading dusty ass tomes about druid holidays (laughs) He didn't learn the one most important fact. It's literally like the most important. I love thing that ever. there's like, no oh. other document that would be like, oh, the Myers had three children. Like, that's just impossible information. Apparently, it's out. very hard to come by this information. <laughs> well, yeah, they like try to say like, well, they the documents were sealed and so on and so forth. So forth. You're like, OK, well, that's great and all. But uh, you're telling me that this Dr. Loomis isn't motivated enough to unseal those documents and uh, t- <laughs> look at that, look up that information. Yeah, I don't know. It's a really fascinating. There's uh, definitely a universe where Loomis like lives. It is essentially becomes Dr. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's such a yes. where he becomes weird, like kind of Bankman and uh, Ghostbusters 2 mixed with Dr. Phil. Yeah, totally. Right? Like, there's definitely a world where that show exists, and I would love to see that sequel. Um, I don't know, though. The the Loomis factor, I think it's just when you get Donald Pleasance and his performance is so big and amazing and dramatic, they had to let Loomis loose, right? And to do that, this movie, they had to really swing into the, what if Michael is exactly what Loomis says, right? And right. explains away Loomis's big fucking... maddening monologues right right and there's there's some really weird magical things that happen in this like clearly the super strength is off the charts right like when he drown when he boils the nurse alive his hands feel no pain he sees his hands get no damage from that right we see him shot six times at the end of the first we see that again in this one yep stabbed in the eyes uh shot more times you know, he just he keeps getting fucked up in this one. Um, there's the one the one of my favorite shots, too, is when Michael uh, stabs the lady with the tiny scalpel and is able to lift her all the way up. But when they show it, it's Lori's vision. It's like almost like Vaseline on the edge of the lens. Yeah. Right. Because she's a little groggy. But what it tells us is that maybe we're not truly seeing a clear picture of what Michael's been doing <laughs> Which I thought was pretty cool, right? Because this is this is the one where we throw out any hint that this is just a, an escape mental patient, right? Right. There's even moments where we see that there's something supernatural with Lori Strode. She has a vision, right? She has a dream in her drug-induced state. She sees the Strode mother, right, drinking and not doing the laundry, I believe, is the setup, even though she's by a laundry sheet saying... I'm not your mother. Like, I'm not going to tell you about stuff. I'm not your mother. And then young Lori sees herself walking into a room with presumably young Michael Myers. Right. And they have this. And I was like, that meeting never could have happened. (laughs) That meeting never, ever could have happened because one Loomis would have known about it. Right. The Strodes were not taking her there. She's not, you know, taking a bus 55 miles to see her crazy brother. Michael would have been reactivated then. So you're like, somehow Lori Strode has pieced all this together before she is awakened from her drug-induced stupor to run away from Michael. So that's an extra layer of magic that kind of escaped me. Interesting, yeah. Or escaped my I guess I never thought of it that way, yeah. I mean... So there is this... Here's a real... This is the weirdest bit of magic in the movie. Ben Tramer. 
So Ben Tramer, the boy that she had a crush on in the first movie, right? Yeah. So this is one of the all-time best scenes in the movie. Absolutely. Ben Tramer is walking around, right, by a random stroke of fate, was possibly destined to hook up with Laurie Strode, ends up wearing the exact same fucking identical outfit as Michael Myers. (laughs) Walking down the street drunk, right? He was at a party. He's walking out drunk. He sees a cop car slam on its brakes. Loomis gets out evil and is pointing his gun everywhere. He decides not to run, not to take the mask off, nothing. He makes the most unbelievable decision ever. I'm going to slowly walk in the other direction. And again, this is not Roger Ebert saying idiot plot, don't apply logic. No. This is a thing I've seen a thousand times as a bouncer of underage drunk kids like, be cool and you'll get out of this. Yeah. Strutting around. So he walks out, right? The deputy that the sheriff called back smashes into him at like 80 miles an hour. Awesome. And the Michael Myers visage goes up in flames. Right. Right. Why and how are we to believe that the guy that Laurie Strode wanted to toss it to was dressed exactly like her brother who wanted to toss a knife in her on that exact night? At that exact time. That feels like fate's trying to protect Michael a little bit. Do you think that Michael saw Ben Tramer in that costume in the first one and we are to believe that he was just copying that? I don't know when he... Because the way I read it is that he got to the Myers house late at night, was already there when Lori got there to drop the papers off early in the morning, already had the jumpsuit, and we see he has the mask by the time she's in... In the English period, yeah. right? So the earliest he could have robbed the store is before second period at school, lunch period at school, whatever. Yeah. Right? So I don't know where he would have seen Tramer. And also, how would he know that it was Tramer? Because Lori confesses to Annie, I think Ben Tramer's kind of cute. Like, that's her first confession. Right. But if her and Michael could share a connected bridge. You know what the one that... Like we saw in the dreams, maybe that's why. The scene- why is Ben Tramer placed in this fucking this game of cruelty between druids and myers and loomis the the scene with the ben, ben tramer's death okay when he turns around i honestly laughed just because like it did remind me of college like i am not gonna go that way yeah, like he literally just turns and he's like fuck 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 you can imagine him under the mask just going fuck 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 yeah absolutely be cool be cool but i mean yeah it is like this bizarre stroke of fate to push i mean that's all it is like it's it is the druid magic it doesn't really throw the cops off the scent they're still looking but right? it's that it's the druid ma- it is it's magic like it, and again like it's interesting Strange. when we watched it this time the more you see like carpenter writing out writing out this like oh well we have like two movies about this story the struggle of good and evil and then we can move on to these other Halloween movies that I think would be better. Like this kind of like you see him like running out the clock in a lot of ways with it. And just because, you know, it was successful and that kind of thing. But what's interesting is like by dropping these like little, you know, druid magic and, um, you know, uh, I always fucking can't pronounce the name. Sam right. Hayes. Thank you. I always still call, just call Samine. I don't know why. But yeah. So, like, by dropping Samhain <laughs> and Druid Magic and all this other stuff, he's, like, trying to throw us off the scent of Michael Myers. Be like, just leave this one in the past. Like, let's move on to something else. Let's do something else next Halloween, and it'll be really cool. 
And what's fascinating is that this is just so powerful a story in such a fascinating yeah. way that like you kind of don't you don't want to like you don't want to leave this because again Michael Myers is perennial. There's no way you are ever going to know if you're truly safe. And I think that's the thing that's so fascinating about this sequel is that while everything that happens in the hospital is kind of hijink scene, like still like fun kills yeah. and that kind of stuff. Like why is he still wasting time killing so many people and playing with their bodies rather than just killing, just killing Lori? Like, but you're like, it is cool that he bled a lady out. It's cool that he melted a lady. The claw hammer murders. Amazing. Yeah. It's fucking awesome that the uh, he appears out of the dark like, doctor's office. You're getting to see him do some really cool shit that you did not get yeah. to see him do the last time. Like in the last in the first movie, he pretty much just strangles people and then stabbed that guy into a wall, which like, which is an all time, which is yes. fucking rad. This time you get to yeah watch him melt a lady, bleed someone out, all kinds of crazy shit, and you're like, cool, cool. It's to me like the proliferation of all this cool stuff that you want to see from this Michael Myers story so that John Carpenter can finally put it to rest and move on to another thing. And it's just too powerful. It's too cool. It's too much, man. Again, this is like, yeah. this I mean, is, that's, that's the thing though. Is that's it's, what it's, it is. It's all iconic, even though the costume looks worse, right? It's still iconic. And I think what Carpenter did too is, you know, maybe partly it was writing backwards. Like, why did that happen? Uh, why is it an 11-year-old in Haddonfield? <laughs> right, right. He starts adding these big pieces in that just fuel your mind, right? The Ben Tramer thing, I was like, he had to have known that was going to get people going, what the fuck? That is magic, right? This thing that drove Loomis to be a down-talking, can't-exist-in-normal-life, pointing guns at cops, crazy monster-hunting doctor is because he stumbled upon this pool of magic, right? Right. The best image of magic in the whole movie, probably the coolest thing I thought was Lori somehow snipes him twice in his eyes. That's the second time she went for the eyes in this one, right? She knows his she eyes knows. are bleeding, but Michael is still just wildly swinging the scalpel. Right. right. That to me is the image of why this this second one adds so much fun, right? Which is, I think the fact that he's this unkillable, you know, monster is not as interesting. But when you add in that maybe this was just a normal child right. in a normal family who through some stroke of evil magic is now just following in this manner, right? Just desperately slashing out at people. Again, not in like a, an efficient way, right. right? But the same kind of magic that would sacrifice Ben Tramer to make sure that, you know, Lori still doesn't unlock her chastity belt. You're like, this is <laughs> fucking crazy. Like the sequence of events and then, you know, the turning on the gas and Loomis, it's time, Michael. You're like, this is fucking. Not I was like, they missed a big one there, though. The fact that he didn't use the matches that he found in the tow truck that he knew were the nurses. Yeah, come on, man. the red rabbit. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh, that would have been a cool fan service. Yeah. But anywho, but I was like, that's just. And then the shot of, you know, Michael storming out still on fire. And then suddenly settling on his face, just like completely gone and flames bursting out. But you still know you're like, there's something so extra happening here. Do I really believe that Michael Myers just got Ben Tramered? I don't. <laughs> and no. that is what is that the power of Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis and Laurie is like, we know you fucking want us back. Yeah. Like the fucking evil deity that is running this Sam Hine Ponzi scheme. 
and just toying with these small yokel teens, he'll bring them back because we want them. Because we want because them. even in a movie where I would argue almost everything in the hospital you could cut out of the movie and it wouldn't matter to yes. me, right? Like you could cut a highlight reel of like three second, like three minutes of kills. That's all the final scene, and then and then cut back when like. The police officers, like you know, Loomis, like he's not dead. Right. Yeah, all right. Like start there again, and the movie would play just as fine. Movie, right. right. Uh, totally. Be a little more streamlined. But the fact that they pick such a bad environment that everyone's already afraid of and lost all the kind of subtleties and nuance of the first one, and just did this big killing machine version, but somehow found a way to cram this really weird magical undertone and fully unlock Loomis. Yes. It's. And they attacked the American dream again from the media angle. I was like, this sequel deepened the first movie. It added a lot to the mythology. It gave us a new look, more time with our characters. And again, the magical world building, the Ben Tramer thing is something I'll never fucking be able to let die because that is the hand of an actual dark god. And that's awesome that that just exists in the middle of Halloween, too. I mean, that's which is supposed to just be the big uh, murder movie. Right. And <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that's great about it in general is that it adds all this stuff that should not work. Like, absolutely no way should you be like, oh, yeah, of course, druid magic. Of course. I mean, that's obviously <laughs> the way this would go. Like, shouldn't work. Shouldn't care. Like, that should not be a thing. And we should all have like you know, in any other world. There's a world where we all saw this movie and we're like the fuck is this about are you kidding me but it works because it comes so far out of left field and we already saw this guy and yes besides ben tramer we already saw this guy take six bullets to the chest so i'm getting stabbed in the eye and he's still going it's like there's got to be something else at work here other than like well he's tough yeah and the psychic bridge Lori having abilities because honestly that's like the big black eye of the movie to me more than anything is literally sedating Lori so lesser characters can walk around the hospital. Right. That's not a great choice. But if you're doing like, oh, it's in service of their psychic bond, like, all right, that's pretty. Yeah, that works. I mean, that that's us backdoor. I mean, I think that, that's, that's not a great way to do it. I mean, I think that ultimately, as far as sequels go, especially to especially sequels to movies that we didn't know were going to be like major franchises 20, 30 years later. I mean, it's a pretty good sequel as far as that kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these other horror franchises kind of knew the sequels. Because I was like, all right, Evil Dead 2, better. Friday the 13th Part 2. I like Friday better than this one, right? I really like Friday the 13th Part 2. Nightmare on Elm Street 2. I like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 better than this. Hellraiser 2, eh. I don't. It's pretty awesome. But the killing pinhead for Dr. Dildo Head, that's an F minus. Child's Play 2, all right, now we're probably like in the ballpark. But that's what I mean. If you start going, I mean, Texas Chainsaw just went like super weird murder Looney Tunes. It's it's in the mix. It's not dramatically worse than most. And I think, honestly, part twos are some of the better movies than most. I think so, too, because once you get the like, I feel like part twos and horror movies, you get your moves down. So, like, you're like, cool. I know what I'm doing now. Like now we got the thing and we can blow it up. Right. Exactly. And this one, this one does that. And again, I focus on the Ben Tramer magic. The there, it just it's one of those movies that somehow still works a lot, even though 
all the stuff I wanted wasn't necessarily there. It was all different and, you know, but still in a good way to me. Yeah. I, it's good, man. I like Halloween too. Yeah. It's a solid joint. RIP Ben Tramer. You didn't deserve this. Or did you? Unless you were part of the ritual, brother. Exactly. All right. That's it for Halloween too. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Again, please take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially Apple Podcast app. It really does mean the world to us, guys. Thank you for those of you who have done that. Uh, you can find us on all social media sites where you're at. We're there, too. Get a hold of us. In that vein, email the show, philmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Uh, let us know movies you'd like to hear us talk about. Guests, double features, themes for a month. New stuff, old stuff. If you want to hear about it, we'd like to talk about it. So let us know, man. Reach out. Um, also, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel if you'd like to see y'all faces along with some new fun content that we're rolling out. Uh, Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. All right, guys. Another movie down on the sojourn through the abyss of the horror genre. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Halloween 3, Season of the Witch.